It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, good evening and welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. This is Thursday, January fifteenth, twenty fifteen, and we welcome you to another episode of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your participation in the program tonight. We always want to encourage listener participation, and so we'll give you our contact information right up front. You can call us toll-free, 877-381-4567, or you can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, or you can get in the chat room. If, if, if you're listening to the program you at the page where you access the program, there's a, a chat room window, and you can get in there, give yourself a name, and... Uh, so we can keep track of who's saying what, and we'll be glad to try to include your comments during the program tonight. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular hosts of the Virtual Bible Study, but I'm not in my regular chair. And Jacob Gwynn, who usually sits here, uh, is out tonight, so I'm trying to run part of the board. Jeff is running the rest of the board, and uh, our friend Monty Overton is uh, with us tonight. Monty, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. We have a question tonight that came in from a, 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 a semi-regular listener to our program, and I think it's a good question. You know, often when we get questions, we save them up and put several together to make a program. But this time, this question, I think, is thorough enough and a, a deep enough s- subject that it deserves a whole hour worth of consideration. We've talked about providence and on the virtual Bible study in the past, but it's been a good while ago, so I thought it was worth uh Diving into this question tonight, Uh, our listener Keith wrote, A question I would love to hear someone among the Lord's people deal with honestly is this. In what ways does God's providence care for us today? How do we know when it's just coincidence or when it is God dealing with us directly? Do we believe that God does deal with us directly? Or has God put in motion his plan and then left us alone? Well, those are all some questions, I think, that go through people's minds on a fairly regular basis and, and I think certainly worth our consideration. And so we, we put out some questions to you today to our update list. Uh, uh, we always remind you, if you're not getting our weekly updates, you can by simply sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say, add me to your list. And if you were on our list, these questions came out earlier today, shortly before noon. And this is sort of the way we want to approach the study, the study of providence tonight. Number one, what's the proper definition of God's providence? I think that's a very important thing to get it defined properly. Number two, do you believe that God's providence is at work in our lives today? And if you do, yes. If yes, then what Bible passages would you use to support your answer? And also, what Bible examples could you offer actual cases of providence in the lives of individuals? Examples from the Bible, not modern day or in my life kind of examples necessarily, but from the Bible, examples of providence at work in people's lives in the Bible. Number three, does God's providence order every single act or event in our lives? Uh, how, how can we know if a specific circumstance has been brought to pass by God's providence? 
Number four, is God's providence primarily concerned with physical or spiritual things or both? And then finally, is there a contradiction in claiming that God's providence is at work and the obvious human suffering that we observe even among faithful Christians? So those are the questions we want to deal with. Monty, I, I hope we can get through all of that and uh, maybe make some sense of it. Well, we'll give it our best shot. Certainly, it's a, it's a deep subject, and we'll, we will uh, have to work hard to try to accomplish all of that. So let's start out with defining providence. Monty, if you were given that job, what would you say is the right definition of providence? Well, I don't know that I really have a great definition of it, but when I think of God's providence, I think of it's things that God does sort of in the background of our lives to accomplish his purposes for us or to uh, maybe direct some things in order. Well, when I think of it, I think of like we, we, we pray for certain things, and then when we pray for things as the Bible's command us to do, then we expect that God is going to accomplish those things or he's going to give us answers. And so it's the way that God answers us today, I guess you'd say. Okay. I think that's a, I think that's certainly in line with what I would dis, def, uh, define as providence. Maybe we could start out by pointing out that the word providence is not found uh, in the Bible, certainly not the providence of God. That mm-hmm. phrase is not found in the Bible. The word providence actually is found one place, but it's not talking about God In Acts chapter 24 and verse 2, you may remember Paul had been transported to Caesarea because the the people who were accusing him in Jerusalem were trying to kill him. And so he got transported to Caesarea, and then the Jews came up there to make their case against him before the Roman governor Felix. And they had a a lawyer uh, who was going to present their case his name was tertullus and uh, he he it says in acts 24 verse 1 after five days ananias the high priest descended with the elders and a certain orator named tertullus who informed the governor against paul and when he was called forth tertullus began to accuse him saying seeing that by thee talking about felix by thee we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. He's buttering up the governor, basically. Mm-hmm. But notice he, he said, we have benefited by your providence. He's, he's talking not about God here. He's talking about Felix, the Roman governor. And he said, we, we've gotten good things from your providence. But the meaning is there. The meaning, now, I think I, can't, I think he was just being a politician here. He just, he's just playing politics and he's trying to get on the good side of the governor but the idea is of foresight and care, making provision for something, uh, to be concerned about uh, something or someone, providing for those things. Um, a, a word that comes from the same root is, is found in the New Testament three places. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, I think many will be familiar with the statement there where it says, if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own household, he hath denied the faith is worse than an infidel. He's supposed to provide for his own. That's from the same root word as providence. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Again, the word provide. Mm -hmm. Provide and providence come from the same root. And then one other place, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Verse 21, uh, it says, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So the word providence means looking ahead, 
providing for, planning, forethought. And so if I was going to suggest a working definition of providence, I would say the preservation, care, and government which God exercises over all things that he has created in order that they may accomplish the end for which they were created. I think that uh, works. Um, it's, it's, it's really not that hard to define as far as what the word means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would argue that men do this. You as a husband and father uh, providentially care for your family. Um, our government, we may quibble about yeah. how well they do that, but our government uh, provides things that we need. And so we're, we're the beneficiaries of their providence, uh, if you want to uh, put it that way. Now, obviously, we're talking about things more important than any of those in regards to God's providence. But the idea of it is things done to provide for us. I think that's the simple working definition that we can go forward with. We had some emails come in, uh, and in answer to that question, uh, let's see here. Um, Ramona in Texas says providence means care or benevolent guidance of God. She references Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth and on uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Uh, probably that verse applies in the sense that God created things for our good, and he provided things that would accomplish what we need. Um, she also references the famous 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you know how the psalm goes on. So Ramona suggests those verses by definition. Uh, David in Kansas City says, God's providence can literally be defined as God providing. It is what God has given us. The Bible, the biblical definition of providence can be seen in Acts 24-2, where Tertullus notes how Felix had provided peace, great quietness, and worthy deeds to the Jews. And I think those things are right. So again... Uh, to, just to start out our discussion, uh, we, we need that sort of a definition. Uh, in the chat room, Mike in Ohio uh, offers Matthew 6, beginning verse 28. says, Why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which... Is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more do so for you, O ye of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Again, the idea that we can have confidence that God provides for us. Um, all those are, I think, are pretty straightforward observations. Uh, but now we get to the more difficult part of the question. The more difficult difficult part of the question, Monty, I think, is. Is God doing that today? Uh, is, is his providence at work in our lives today? Um, we we got to spend some time defining that. Um, is he doing supernatural, miraculous things for us today? Well, if he is, we don't have any way of knowing it. Uh, God is all-powerful, can do whatever he wants to, but... To say that he's doing supernatural things, we couldn't prove that. And what we're talking about, I think, tonight is trying to explain and give evidence of, of things that God's doing and how he's providing for us when we talk about God's providence. But 
I can't say that, okay, here's something that happened today that was outside the boundaries of natural law, and God did that, and so therefore he's performed some miracle in, in order to provide providence for us today. I can't prove that. I can't show that. He, so therefore we can't really just because I think one way or another doesn't mean anything. I think it's really important that we we make that distinction. By the very nature of providence, we are not able to say that was God doing that. Uh, it, it is it is um, it is not the obvious miracle of Jesus turning water to wine, or raising a man who'd been dead for four days, or walking on the water. Uh, those were obvious miracles, and everybody could say God did that. Yeah. Now that's a miracle that God did, and I know it was because I, I observed it with my own eyes, and there's no other explanation for it other than that was God working miraculously to perform that outcome. In the case of providence, it's not like that. We can't say there it is, and and no right thinking person could deny that God did that. We can't do that in the case of providence. Now, I really, I really believe in providence, and I think that God is active. We're going to deal with this a little bit more as we get further into our discussion. I believe that God is active in our lives, and and there's several reasons why I would come to that conclusion. But let's say I'm in a discussion with a atheist who doesn't even believe in God, and so I say, well, certainly there's a God because look what He does in my life. And the atheist says, well. I could I could make some of the same claims about things that happened in my life, and I don't believe God was doing that. It's not provable. It's not convincing evidence, like a like a miracle performed uh, by Jesus or the apostles was a convincing form of testimony. In other words, a proof and evidence. Providence is not like that. We can't use it for proof. You know, something that comes to my mind when we think of providence is if you look in the book of Esther in chapter four, verse fourteen. When there's this plot been put in place by Haman to destroy all the Jews, and Mordecai's learned of it, and he goes and talks to Queen Esther and tells her she's going to have to do something about it. And he said, for if you remain completely silent this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. What he's talking about is providence here. He's saying that, you know, if you don't do anything, God's going to provide for his for His people, so there will be relief come some way or another. It's going to happen, but... It's still it's something you can't prove, you you can't have any evidence of, you just have to accept it. Yeah. And uh, I, I was looking at something else. Did you read that? Did you read the follow-up verse where he said, who knows? Did you read that? Let's see. Uh, and yeah, at the bottom of the verse, verse here, verse, verse 14, says, yeah. yeah, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So he suggested that possibly, and he said, like he says, who knows? Nobody can prove it, but this may be the very reason that, God, through his providence, the way he provided for relief for the Jewish people at this time was to put her in place as queen in order to have the king's ear to accomplish salvation from the Jews from this physical danger. That's right. And you know, an interesting thing in the study of the book of Esther is the name of God. It's the only book in the Bible that the name of God is not mentioned in the whole book of Esther. But we really believe that God is seen throughout that story, that Mm -hmm. God working to accomplish the deliverance of the Jews is seen throughout that book. But it's like Mordecai said, who knows? You know, he was saying, I can't say for sure that you, Esther, were placed where you are so that you could bring deliverance to the Jews. It may be, or it might not be. The implication is it might not be either. But however, God's going to bring about the deliverance of his people. 
we, we know that God had to do that because God had made promises through the Jews that hadn't been accomplished in the coming of the Messiah. And so God was going to bring deliverance to the Jews. Who knows whether he had caused Esther to be in the place where she was so that she could bring that deliverance. But the as you think about that, there's no apparent miracle in Esther becoming the queen of Persia. Uh, a, a, a process was, was followed and a, and a new queen was chosen. Uh, but I couldn't put my finger on any part of that that was necessarily miraculous. You know, and that process being followed was not a, a miraculous divine intervention process. It's something that the king of Persia, uh, uh, a heathen man, set in place. And this is, I, I want another queen and here's what we're going to go through in order to get one. So God is able to use the things we see throughout the history in the Old Testament, how God is able to use the actions of sometimes good people or sometimes bad people in order to accomplish his purpose. He provides for us. There's that word providence. He provides for us in those ways. He can take whatever to accomplish his purposes. Uh, In the chat room, someone asked, how could Esther be considered providence? By your definition, the fact that it doesn't say God intervenes would dictate that you couldn't call it providence. You have no way of knowing. Well, we're saying Mordecai admitted that, that he couldn't say for sure that it was. He was confident that God would deliver his people. And and he says, who knows concerning whether Mm -hmm. Esther was there or not. Uh, It sure worked, and it did bring deliverance to God's people. Um, And so I would argue that it, it was a case of an interaction behind the scenes, non-miraculous, that accomplished God's purposes. Remember, our definition of, of, of providence was uh, the care, gov- uh, preservation, care, and government which God exercises to accomplish the end for which he desires. So certainly it was God's desire that the Jews be delivered. Mm-hmm. It turns out that Esther was the deliverer. She was the one who made it happen. Uh, I don't think it. I don't think it's too hard to put the pieces of that puzzle together. Well, as we think about different things, uh, even in physical things, when we think of a court case, maybe a murder trial going on, they produce evidence to 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 demonstrate what actually happened to illustrate the facts in the matter or to determine the facts in the matter. And so, I think we could take even in this case right here, the evidence would suggest because here she was, just a humble girl. You know, nobody knew of before, and then we see the, how she came to be become queen. Well, the evidence would suggest that God probably had something to do with that. The Jews of that day and to this day certainly believe that that was God's hand. They still celebrate the deliverance that mm-hmm. was accomplished uh, through Esther. And so uh, the Jews of that day uh, and the record of their confidence in God's deliverance is even recorded for us in our Bibles they would say they certainly believe God's hand was in that. Right. Uh, another example from the Old Testament that is often used, where are we at on time? Oh, we're past time for a break. Let's take a, t- uh, take a break, Jeff. And when we come back, let's look at the example of Joseph in the book of Genesis because he makes a statement uh, rather similar. Let's go to that uh, when we come back from this break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. 
I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. You don't drown by falling in the water. You drown by staying there. And the same is true with sin. Not everyone will like you. Not everyone will be kind to you. Not everyone will agree with you. That doesn't mean you have to be unkind in return. One of the most important keys to success is having the discipline to do what you know you should do, even when you don't feel like doing it. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study, uh, talking about God's providence. Monty Overton is joining us for this important discussion. And uh, it is an interesting question. I think that a lot of that that a lot of people wonder about. Um, I think that people go to some extremes, Monty. One is to believe in God's miraculous intervention in our lives by way of empowering us to do miracles or empowering people to do miracles. You know, maybe gifts of healing or who knows what. I, I think that some people go to an extreme that would be denied by the fact that we believe that the the age of men working miracles has ended. Uh, I see that on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum is I think maybe some people get uh, very discouraged and lose hope because they think God is has abandoned them and is not uh, interactive in their lives. Yeah, I agree that, you know, there's, there's two extremes there. And I think probably the truth is found in the middle of those somewhere, somewhere in between them. That, you know, God hasn't abandoned us just to left us to our own devices, so to speak. But we can't perform miracles today either. So somewhere in between is where what we're talking about. How is God providing for us and ordering our lives today? Yeah, and I think by the eye of faith, we have confidence that God is seeing our our situation and is acting for our good. We ask the question: Do you believe that God's providence is at work in our lives today? And we got a unanimous yes from that. And everybody who responded agreed that they thought that He was acting in our lives today, but and there's some differences in how that working takes place. Uh, one comment in the chat room from guest 8509 says, God's power goes beyond miracles. He is not limited. God can work in ways that we don't even know or understand, and I think that's certainly true. Uh, let's go to this case of Joseph that I suggested uh, before we went to that break. And we, we all, I think, are very familiar with the story of uh, Joseph, uh, how was, he was his father's favorite, and his father demonstrated that favoritism. His brothers were envious. They sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. By a process, of course, he, he went from being a slave in Egypt to being second in command only to the Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, when, the, when a severe famine hit, Joseph was in a position to be able to assist his family uh, and we, I think we all know that story well. In, in Genesis 39, verse 2, 
It says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Uh, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So now this is talking about when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, his uh, initial uh, slave owner, but God was with him. And because of that, uh, he gained the favor of his master. But of course, some things changed. He got thrown in prison. But after after he got thrown in prison, um, he was delivered from that. Now, there, I think there was some miracle involved in him getting out of prison by virtue of him interpreting dreams. Uh, but not all of that process was even a righteous thing. For instance, his brothers hating him and selling him as a slave into Egypt, that wasn't that wasn't a righteous act. That was an evil, wicked thing that they did. Yeah. When Potiphar's wife accused Joseph wrongly of trying to molest her, and he got thrown in jail, that was a bad deal. That, that, that was not a good thing. That was bad people doing bad things. Joseph suffered uh, at the hands of evil men, effectively. But when, when, it, when all was said and done, in Genesis chapter 45, uh, verse 4 Beginning, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said to them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring or harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So Joseph said he he wasn't just talking about I think there was some miraculous things involved in the story of Joseph, especially in regards to his ability to interpret dreams. Mm-hmm. But he said, God sent me here. Well, God was able to use even the deeds of evil men to accomplish a purpose that he wanted to accomplish. Now it wasn't it, it, it wasn't from God that his brothers sold him as a slave, but God could use that. Not miraculously, but God could use that to bring about the end result he wanted, to have Joseph in a place to be able to preserve his family in the course of this severe famine. And when you think of it, it wasn't just preserving his family, but when in God's providence in general for the people in the world, uh, for the people in this area at the time, he provided for their preserving also because the people of Egypt wouldn't have known about this famine that was coming or actually the people of the whole world. It seems at that time Egypt they would have, have been all starved ba- to death. They would have been in, in Egypt. They would have been as bad a shape as anybody else yeah. if it hadn't been, it hadn't for, been Joseph. for this. So yeah. God, in the process of preserving this Jewish people that he had promised even from far as far back as Adam when you get down to it, uh, that this was going to take place. So God provided for the people in general even though – they was able to benefit from a blessing for the, from the Hebrew people specifically. Yeah. So God's providence was at work here. I think that's right. Uh, God, God was at work to bring about the desired end result for the good of his people. It, and it wasn't, again, I would argue that in the case of Joseph specifically, there was some miraculous things involved. We, when we talked earlier about the case of Esther, I don't think, I don't see any miracles in the case of Esther. Uh, but in the case of Joseph, we do see him having the ability to interpret dreams. But God was even able to use the wicked deeds of certain individuals to mm-hmm. get that end result done. 
And that definitely wouldn't be in the realm of him doing miracles or and, men doing miracles. And some of what Joseph did here that was endeared him to Pharaoh was his wise advice on setting up storehouses and saving the saving food up for this coming hard times. There's really no evidence that that advice was a miraculous thing that came from God. It's just might say a logical thing to do if you know hard times is coming store up for it and so yeah. joseph was able to say that but god was able to use that providentially in order to provide for the people okay um we're, we're almost up to time for another break but I, here's the challenge i'll put out to to those in our chat room uh we, we've given a couple of i think classic the i can't i think we've given the classic old testament examples of providence in the case of esther and joseph those are I think I don't think anybody's listening who's ever studied this subject too surprised to see us go to those two examples. Those are the two that are most often used. But those are Old Testament. So I challenge you all in the chat room while we go to this mid mid hour break. Can you think of anything in the New Testament that you would argue shows a sign of God's involvement in a providential and by way of providence we're saying not 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 necessarily miraculous. Certainly, we know God worked miracles in the first century. We know that He empowered men to work miracles. Although we don't believe He's empowering men to work miracles today, can we see any examples in the New Testament of God's providence at work? And we'll we'll go to that when we come back from this break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. I wasn't ready to do it yet. I really didn't want to get started at all, but my neighbor had already mowed his grass two times and my yard was looking pretty shabby. I figured if he mowed a third time before I mowed the first time, it would really make me look bad. So even though I wasn't really in the mood, I got the mower out of the garage and I went to work. How often have you been motivated in a similar fashion? Maybe it was at work or school. Perhaps it was a project or chore that you really dreaded, but someone else did something that made you realize that you needed to get to work. We often talk about peer pressure. Most often we mention it with a negative connotation. In this regard, we are talking about how others can influence us to do evil. We're pressured to talk, act, and dress like worldly people do. There's a great danger in this, and we've rightly warned about these negative peer influences. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says evil companions corrupt good morals. But there's a positive side to peer pressure that we may be tempted to overlook. When we're around good people who are doing good things, we're motivated to follow their example. We're urged to get busy in the work of the Lord. We are encouraged to live right. We are moved to imitate them and be like them. This is good and helpful. We are to exhort one another daily, Hebrews 3, verse 13, and to consider one another to provoke into love and good works, Hebrews 10, verse 24. Christian, are you setting a good example for others? Are you motivating them in positive ways? Are you helping your brothers and sisters to be more like God wants them to be? Are you providing positive peer pressure? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great. I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it's easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. 
All right, we're back uh, on the Virtual Bible Study, reminding you that this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, if you'd be able to join us uh, for worship and Bible study, we'd love to have you. We're easy to find on the west side of Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, we are College View because we are actually located right across the highway from the large Columbia Community College, uh, Columbia State Community College. Thus, we are College View. So if you're in our area, you know where that is, and we'd love to have you come and join us. If you are not close by, we have a number of resources available on our website at collegeview.com. We don't often say it. We probably should say it more than we do, but College View is spelled funny. It's College View, V-U-E, C-O-L-L-E, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, College View. So look us up at collegeview.com. We thank you for being with us on the program, reminding you you can participate in discussion tonight as we talk about God's providence. You can do it by giving us a call, uh, toll-free, 877-381-4567. You can do it by sending us an email. We're trying to keep an eye on our email uh, inbox as the program goes on. But, of course, most of our input comes via the chat room, and there's quite a bit of discussion going on in the chat room right now. Um, the uh, one one listener in the chat room says um, he says God has provided in the past he's provided his word more than that is pure speculation you know I, I don't have a big argument with the fact that beyond what we know in the word we're just speculating about what God has done uh, the rest of the, for instance in your life Monty I know you and I have talked about this. I know you have confidence that God has acted providentially in your life, that God's done things for you. But you can't prove that to me or anybody else. Uh, if you were in discussion with an atheist, you might as well not even bring that the things up that you feel God has done in your life because you can't prove it to him anyway. Yeah, things like that are is things that I have faith in the matter. Uh, I believe the evidence suggests it to me. So that I can can have that faith that God has done things for me, but as far as genuine actual proof, no, I don't have any. And so uh, I wouldn't bring it up to an atheist because it would damage my arguments with him more than it would help. Exactly right, and that's the thing. I think by by the eye of faith we have this confidence, but uh, we we can't use it as proof. And that's what's really different than the the miraculous human interventions that God was doing in the first century time frame with Jesus and the apostles and other inspired individuals of the first century. The miracles there were for proof, and they were hard and fast miracles. They were obvious things. You know, we mentioned mm-hmm. uh, raising a dead man or, or healing a, a, a leper or all the other many miracles that occurred as recorded in our Bibles. Those were intended as proof. And for the people to actually see it and say, well, there's no other explanation. That had to be God doing that. Uh, now, that was God's miraculous intervention in the lives of individuals back then. He, he doesn't work miracles by the hands of men today. Uh, we can't do gifts of healings. We can't raise men from the dead. Those, those proofs are finished because the revelation is complete. We don't need any more proof to confirm God's revelation to mankind. What we're saying, though, is that providence is his ongoing care for us, both physically and spiritually, in the world today. Um, You know, when you think about it, all these things that God's doing, we might say in the background because there's no evidence of any miraculous things taking place. When we provide for our families, through our providence, we're doing things that affects good for them. 
and our families may not ever know the details of what we did to accomplish this good for them. They might they won't be seeing it. You know, when I go to work, my family doesn't see what I do at work, but they see a benefit from it because a paycheck comes in. Therefore, we're able to have a house to live in and food and things like that. Even though they didn't see me do the work, they know it happened. Through their faith, they know that I went and done that. So in a, in a lot of respects, it's the same way with God. We can't see him doing these things. I can't put my finger on this one detail and say, God absolutely did this. But I can see the effects of what he's doing in the background in my life to accomplish the things that I need to have happen. I put out a challenge just before I went to the break. We gave some classic Old Testament examples of God at work in the lives of individuals. Uh, those are Old Testament can you think of any New Testament examples? Uh, I want to offer one, and then we'll see if, if there's other suggestions. In Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, of course, Paul uh, is writing here as a, uh, a prisoner in Rome, um, and he suffered some horrible persecutions that got him to Rome and, the, and, and his confinement there. But here's what he said about it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all of the places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confidence by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul felt that, uh, of course, bad men had done these things to him, but Paul felt that it had turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. I would argue that God was able to use in the life of the Apostle Paul even these bad deeds. Look what what happened. He got all the way to Rome. He even was able to have an influence among Caesar's household in Rome. I think that's an example of God's providence at work. Now, someone says, prove that to me. Prove it even here in this text that, that God was the one who did that. Well, can't do it. there were plenty of other prisoners who got transported to Rome in the same time frame that Paul was being transported to Rome. I couldn't, I, if push came to shove, I couldn't say that that was God causing all that to happen. Paul, I think, indicated that he had that comment. It, it, it fell out to the, uh, fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. It worked out for good, he said. Uh, and so I, I would argue that, you know, uh, I think I saw you write down about Paul's shipwreck on your notes there. Yeah, I wrote down in Acts chapter 27. Uh, in verse 24, Paul says, Do not be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. That's this, uh, it says there appeared to him. I didn't write that verse down. An angel appeared to him and is telling Paul these things. And then it talks about the shipwreck and the details of that. And then over in verse 44, it says the rest, uh, or verse 43 and 44, uh, the centurion commanded that those that could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest on some on boards and some on parts of the ship. So it was that they all escaped safely to land. When we start thinking about the details of what had to happen in order for this ship to wreck exactly where it did in such a way that these hundreds of people was able to none of them drowned. Everybody on that ship survived. And it would have to be the details of it and the circumstance of it are so involved that it would have to be the providence of God to provide that because men couldn't have done it. But if I were to say, I don't accept that money. There's been plenty of ships wrecked and nobody died. this is just a just a just a circumstance. It just turned out that way. You couldn't prove otherwise. But again, we're saying that is the nature of this whole subject: is you can't prove uh, 
But it sure, uh, it's, Paul was, uh, had confidence. God had promised him nobody is going to perish on the yeah. ship, and nobody did. Uh, but again, to an unbeliever or a doubter, well. See, we would it, think even this example would almost have to be miraculous, and maybe God did some miraculous things in this. Maybe he changed the ocean current or, or something. Or, or somehow or another had the winds driving or where they'd hit it because exactly the right spot so this ship would be busted up, but yet nobody died. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But I can accept that somehow or another God accomplished his purpose here, even to the point that uh, in verse 43 talks about the centurion wanting to save Paul. Uh, normally the Romans would have killed all the prisoners here so that wouldn't any of them escape. But the centurion stopped that. That was just another providential thing. God provided for the purpose that he had set forth that Paul was going to go to Rome and preach. Yeah, because that had actually been a promise to yeah. Paul earlier than this. You shall go to Rome, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, God had made a promise, and and if Paul had died in that shipwreck, then God's promise couldn't be fulfilled. God was going to preserve Paul through that ship, shipwreck, through that whole process. God was going to preserve him because he had a promise to fulfill by Paul, and he did. Uh, we see God's hand in that. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, I would say that we can't put a finger on it and say, well, there's the miracle that made that happen. It may have been all natural circumstance. God, God used them through natural circumstance to bring about his purposes. So, again, I think that's a good New Testament example. Uh, in the chat room, well, they're going to town now in the chat room uh, talking about the question. Uh, let's see. Mike has suggested Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt to preserve the life of, of the infant Jesus or the young child Jesus. Uh, um, someone in the chat room suggests Paul as a New Testament example of providence. Mike in the chat room makes a point that I agree with, but there's some dis- disputing going on in the chat room about that. God answers prayers. He is active. We must trust that that is for our good. I think that that's, I think that's a true observation. The very fact that we are instu- instructed to pray and ask for things that we need would indicate that God is active to bring about an answer to those prayers, Monty. That's right. You know, the fact that God says pray for this implies that he's going to do something about it. Otherwise, uh, there would have been absolutely no reason for God to say pray about it, to ask him for it. But he's told us to ask him, and he's assured us that he hears our prayers and he answers them. Now, the answer isn't always what we want to hear necessarily. Uh, When we ask our parents for things when we were kids, Dad, I want one of I want this. I remember as a kid, I wanted a, a mini bike, and Dad wouldn't get me a mini bike because it wasn't in my best interest. He felt I would get hurt on it, and I'm sure that he was absolutely right that I would have. But the answer was no. But it was still an answer. Well, it's the same way with God. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is later on. So, but we have to accept that God's going to give us what is best for us. Yeah. Um, in First Peter chapter three verse twelve, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Um, what would be the purpose of Him listening to our prayers? Why would we make our petitions known unto God, which we are actually instructed to do? We're, it's not just that. Certainly, prayer involves lots of things. It's not just asking for things. Uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Well, why would I do that? 
if God is not acting, in other words, if, if God, one of our emailers has said, uh, this is David from Kansas City. David from Kansas City has said, uh, there's no need for God to interact in our lives today. The word has been delivered, Jude 3, and since God has chosen to reveal his will through his son, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, everything that needed to be done has been accomplished. And so David's view is that he is not responding. He's not active in our lives. But I think it's a worthy question. If that's the case, then why are we instructed to pray? The New Testament tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's in the King James. James uh, chapter 5, verse 12, I think. If that was not the case, if if there's nothing, for, no need for me to pray for anything, if my prayers are falling on deaf ears, if God's not acting on it, then really he wrote something there that's a lie because then my prayers aren't availing anything. Yeah. The New Testament says it's doing something. It's accomplishing a purpose. James 5, 16, yeah. verse 16. James 5, verse 16. I, I think that's right. And I, um, so I, I do think that the argument that our command to pray exists certainly would argue that God is active in answering prayers. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got to take our last break. When we come back, we'll try to tie this all up and bring it to a conclusion. We'll be back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to the 2014 State of the Bible Report by Barna Group and the American Bible Society, a majority of U.S. adults, 81%, say they consider themselves highly, moderately, or somewhat knowledgeable about the Bible. Yet less than half, only 43%, were able to name the first five books of the Bible. Only half knew that John the Baptist was not one of the twelve apostles. Although most people own a Bible, just over a third, 37% of Americans, read the Bible once a week or more. Over a quarter, 26% of Americans, never read the Bible at all. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're going to go to the top of the hour. We're talking about God's providence. And uh, it's really an interesting discussion. I think it's an important discussion. Uh, we've kind of wandered away from our questions, Monty, kind of to try to get back to that. Uh, we've talked about 
what we think is a fair and working definition of providence. We've argued that God's providence is at work in our lives today. We've looked at some examples from the Bible where we think we can show that God was at work, although not intervening miraculously uh, in both Old Testament and New Testament examples. We ask the question, does God's providence order every single act or event in our life? I've used this illustration on the virtual Bible study before, but I've never have forgotten years ago we knew a lady in the church who believed that God directed her to the piano teacher that her that she should choose for her kids. Uh, I think that's an extreme in the, in regards to God's intervention in our lives that probably is absolutely unjustified. I, I don't think that God is... God doesn't care who teaches piano to my kids. As as long as uh, I make a choice about somebody who is a, uh, not going to harm them in some way or, uh, you know, molest them or uh, peddle drugs to them or who knows what. As long as as long as I choose someone who's not going to cause harm to my children, God doesn't care who teaches piano to my you kids. Know, if God did providentially provide that for her, he done that by giving us principles to live by in order to use wisdom and make good judgments on who to pick. So I don't think he kind of get divided, drove her around to this. This is the house. Go in there. Here he is. Yeah. But he gave us principles and intelligence to be able to make a sound choice. And that so would providentially be that. he provided that. Yeah, and, and that would be uh, along the lines of something already done. Uh, our, our emailer, David, said something. He talked about it all being already done. Mm-hmm. Well, some of that's already done. He gave me principles that I wouldn't want to choose a drug addict, for instance, to teach piano to my kids. There are probably some drug addicts out there who are good piano players, but I'm not going to choose one of them to teach my kid how to play piano. And I'm going to base that on principles that I've learned from the Word of God. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to say – he doesn't have to – It wasn't necessary for any miraculous or – Supernatural, in, supernatural intervention, or, or any there. guidance or enlightenment uh-uh. to guide me to uh, away from oh, that sort of person. That's right. So a lot, I, I agree with David. A lot of the guidance and providence that God has done for us, we, we can find it in the Bible through those principles He's given us to live by. But I doesn't. I don't believe necessarily that's all of it. Yeah. Um, uh, when you the question is talking about does God's providence order every single act or event in our lives? I would say no. And a scripture I would use to rep- support that would be Ecclesiastes chapter nine verse eleven that says time and chance happen to all men. There are things that are just random chance that's going to happen in our life. The Bible tells us that yeah. God doesn't direct every event in our life, but there are things that are directed. Yeah. Principles that are set forth. Yeah, for instance, uh, we certainly would hope it would never happen this way, but if we're driving home from uh, the program tonight and a drunk driver hits us and kills us, well, God didn't make that drunk driver go out and get drunk. I may suffer the consequence, uh, I may suffer the evil consequence Mm -hmm. of another man's sin. Certainly a lot of good people in the Bible that happened to. There were a lot of, we asked, one of our follow-up questions was, is there a contradiction between God's providence at work and obvious human suffering we observe even among faithful Christians? Good people suffer. Uh, and sometimes they suffer unjustly from evil men. The, cla- the, the most ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ himself, a perfect man who suffered horrible things at the hands of wicked men. Uh, and so I don't think there's a contradiction there because God is... God is still allowing us to be free moral agents. That's right. And he allows 
people to make bad choices that lead to bad consequences. And their bad choices may impact me, even if I've not been a participant in that in that bad thing. <clears throat> well, they do impact us. We know that because, if for no other reason than because, just like you mentioned, the drunk driver, there's laws on the books that regulate driving. And we have to obey those laws. Those laws have some impact on our lives, not because we're going out and getting drunk and driving, but because other people do. So there's there's rules that are in place to, to affect those things, and those rules affect all of us. You know, when I think about that, uh, that question about the contradictionary, you know, we've been studying on Wednesday nights the book of Job, and we can see all of the things, the calamities that befell Job, the sickness, the sickness he had, the suffering, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his children, all these things happened, and it wasn't because of any bad thing he done. Actually, it was because he was good, and the devil was pointing that out to God. Well, Job's a fine. God points out Job's a fine fellow, and the devil says, "Yeah, because you won't let me touch him." So we can see that there was sometimes these bad things happen to us because we're being tested, and so that's not a contradiction there. That's God can test us through providential actions or cause us to be tested by that, but it's still it's God at work. Yeah, and because because of the the way things are, we're all going to suffer and die. If time continues on, we're going to grow old and suffer and die, or we may not grow old. We might suffer and die, or we might die suddenly. That's the reality of living in that's this world. That's a result of sin in our yeah, lives. That's right. And sin was introduced into in the, the world. world by us, yeah. not by God. Yeah. So therefore, because we chose to sin, we have to suffer these things. Yeah, and because sin, well, I would say in a more general way, because sin entered mm-hmm. the world. You know, if, if, sometimes an innocent little baby who's never sinned will, will suffer yeah. and die. It's not their sin, but it's the reality of sin entering the world and the aftermath of that that we deal with, mm-hmm. uh, physical death. Uh, is is a reality of our existence in this physical world. Um, Monty, how can we know if a specific circumstance has been brought to pass by God's providence? I don't believe I can know. Uh, like I said, we could, the evidence might suggest it to us, but we can't prove that God's providence caused this certain thing to happen in our life. I just don't believe that's the case. We can accept it by faith. Uh, if it was a good outcome, we can give God the credit for it. And justifiably so, I believe, but I can't prove it one way or the other. And I think that's one of the things that we said several times tonight about God's providence. I can't prove that God providentially done anything. I can believe it. I can have evidence that suggests it to me, but I can't prove it. I think you're exactly right. Ramona in Texas says, I always believe in my life uh, that things have been brought by God's providence. I've had some valleys, but when I look back on it, I know it was for a purpose. Well, Ramona uh, says she believes it, and I think that's the way Christians look at it. We believe that God has been at work. I I think I I could name some times in my life when God was at work, but I can't prove it, so I don't even try to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob in Indiana uh, sent in an email uh, where he talks about a, a, a circumstance in his life, and I'll just use this to illustrate our point. How much time we got? Five minutes left. He says, "There have been so many things that happened in my life that are beyond happenstance that you'd have a hard time convincing me that God was not instrumental in bringing them to pass." Now, again, he's a man of faith, and so he believes it happened. Mm-hmm. But I want to, as I go on and read his story here, I'm going to just point out that it, this wouldn't be convincing proof to an unbeliever. It, providence just doesn't make that possible. He says, the chance meeting of a person in a public place who happened to have information that I needed regarding my health 
and the topic just happened to come up. He said, I usually don't generally discuss my health with people that I just met. The availability of the surgeon they knew and recommended at the time I needed him with the expertise I needed, who tells me after surgery that my mitral valve in his heart looked like a piece of meat that a dog had been chewing. And after surgery and healing, my personal cardiologist said it's perfect in his own to his own amazement. Um he goes on, opportunities in my subsequent life to positively influence my wayward son back to God just to convince me that it was not God's providence that got me there. I, I, it won't happen. I believe that God cares for me personally, not just in general, as in all mankind generally. That's certainly a lot more motivating to live for him. Uh, I know, I know Bob, and I know some of the circumstances that he's writing about there. He's got great confidence that God was at work in his life. I would agree with him, but I know I know some people who don't believe in God. I could take that same story and tell it to them, and I don't think it'd be a convincing evidence. They say just random chance. atheists have surgery and get well from heart disease <coughs> as well. You know, so it doesn't prove it doesn't prove anything, and that, that's what we've been saying. These things just don't serve as proof, like the miracles of the first century served as proof. It, and it's not intended to be that way. You know, was he talking about the story of Joseph a while ago? When Joseph was being sold into slavery by his brothers, I'm sure he wasn't feeling very that God was taking care of him too good right there. Uh, when he was went into Potiphar's household and he was imprisoned because of false accusations by Potiphar's wife, I'm sure he wasn't feeling like God was taking too much care of him. And even when his first episode of of uh, trans, giving the meaning to the dreams that the Butler and the baker had, and then they went off. Well, one of them was killed, and the other one forgot about him for a period of time. He probably still wasn't feeling like everything was going his way, but ultimately everything was going his way, and we can see that, and he gives it to the credit and says, God took care of this for me. Yeah. Um, David says concerning can we know if a specific circumstance has been brought to pass by God's providence, he says um, this question presupposes a different a definition, he says an incorrect, although I disagree with him. He says an incorrect definition of God's providence. I know God provides because I see his instructions laid out for my life in the word. I know he provides every time the sun comes up or it rains. This is not the pseudo-miraculous understanding of God's providence so prevalent throughout the church today. Well, I, I, I would agree that God works through the word, uh, that I am blessed by the knowledge that I get from his word, and it helps me live my life in a way to avoid a lot of bad things. I agree that that's one of the ways God works. I agree that God works through the natural processes that he has set in, in place. The sun comes up and it rains. Uh, all good things come from God. Jesus even mentioned that on the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But I don't. I do think that God answers our prayers and that he has historically in both Old and New Testament worked in the lives of his people to accomplish good things that he desires. It's, it's, it's his will that he brings to pass what he wills uh, in our lives. Yeah. You know, I used to think like he was talking about that God just sort of stopped, built the world and turned it on and it's run on automatic ever since then. But if you read in the book of Job in chapter 38, uh, verse beginning it says have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the ends of the world god's saying he causes the sun to come up every day well if he's doing that every day there's a countless other things that he's doing every day it's not that just he established a process and a natural order of things and it happens but he's constantly seeing to it that it does happen yeah and so 
just in that. That's his providence. He's provi- we're talking about providence as that provision for our needs. God is telling Job, yeah. I'm doing it all the time. Well, uh, you know, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the heavens and earth which are now by the word are kept in store. In other words, uh, Peter says that God's keeping things going in the physical. Yeah. So there's the natural processes that we benefit from. Mm-hmm. There's the word that we benefit from. He provides for us in those ways. But I think that he he makes other things happen that we can't even know necessarily. Yeah, that are beyond our comprehension. In the book of in the book of Daniel, Daniel said God rules in the affairs of nations, for instance. Yeah. Well, he must be active. If he's ruling in the affairs of nations, he must be bringing certain nations to power and bringing others down and so forth. I think that all goes. The, we're out of time. Uh, the question, the one question we didn't deal with, but I think is pretty obvious, is we ask: Is God's providence more concerned with physical or spiritual things in our lives? I think He's concerned with both, but I would certainly argue that is that is priority is our spiritual yeah, the number well-being. number one priority would be our spiritual well-being, but like you said, it has to be with both. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter ten. Uh, real quick, off one more passage here. Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? The very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows, which would argue his, his physical care for us. But if you back up to verse 21, uh, he, he talks about, Brothers shall deliver brother to death, the father, the child. The children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. A lot of bad things may happen to you because you're serving the Lord. But in the end, you'll be saved. That's his primary emphasis. Yeah, We're out of time. I think it's a great discussion, an important discussion about God's providence. We appreciate everybody who's been listening tonight. We had a good number who've been listening, a lot of participation in the chat room. We didn't get to keep up with all that as we went about. Usually uh, uh, when the chat room gets real busy, we can't keep up with all the comments there, but we're glad that you all have been able to participate in that way. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We always encourage you to make a regular appointment to join us on Thursday nights at this same time. Lord willing, we'll be back next week for another episode of the virtual Bible study, and we'll look forward to seeing you at that time. Good evening. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.